Well, how are you guys doing this morning? All right, good, good. Um, thanks for that. <laughs> uh, hey, have you guys been following Tiffin Colombian football? Anybody? They're in, uh, there's, is, is Judd here today? Oh, the one day he's not here. I'm sorry. You tell him I called him out, all right, in front of everybody, second service. Um, Judd Lutz, he's one of our own, right? Actually, we got several coaches that uh, are part of our, our church family here um, that, are, that are coaches for the team. And uh, they are in their fifth round of the playoffs, okay, for football. And uh, if they win this week, yeah, that's, that's awesome. That's good. All right. If they win this week, they only got two more games and they win state. And then the season's over. That's going to be so sad in three weeks, you know. So now we're, uh, we're, we're rooting for you guys, and I know we got players and coaches in here. We're rooting for you guys, and we stand behind you guys. Oh, and I forgot Hopewell, all right? You guys too. All you Hopewell people are like, what? Yeah, but, uh, but you guys are, are killing it too. I, I really like, this is why I like watching, is our, our kids, our youth ministry is called Fuse here. I love watching our Fuse kids dominating other kids, okay? So uh, last, last week I went to the... I went to the Tiffin Columbian game, and, um, and it was like, the fourth quarter was like one of the best quarters of football I've ever seen. All right, it was crazy, it was intense, it was exciting. So just, uh, just know, for you Hopewell people and Tiffin people, um, we, are, we are rooting you guys on. So got uh, a few more games, but uh, all right. So uh, we are done with family meetings for a while. I know some of you guys will be very excited to hear that. Um, we, uh, last week, we, we talked about, we started our series, we're kind of talking about politics a little bit, uh, and, uh, and we had a little pushback here and there, which was expected, okay? Not as much as I expected, which I appreciate that if you guys um, held that, but, uh, but uh, no, we, we, uh, you know, we totally understand that we got people on both sides of the spectrum here um, in our church family, and whoever, you know, whatever political view you have, just know we want you to be a part of our family, okay? A church family shouldn't be all just one specific view, all right? A church family, we're a bunch of different people with a bunch of different opinions, you know, that we should all be filtering our opinions through, um, through Scripture, which we're going to be talking about today. But uh, we come from all over the map, and we all have different backgrounds and everything, so um, the church, you know, we're all different, and, and we know that. Uh, some of you, all right, may have been, some people, all right, were irritated, all right, or may have been irritated because you have the idea that a pastor shouldn't be talking about politics. And part of that I agree with, okay? I think there's parts, there's a many areas of politics where pastors should, you know, like, you know, um, foreign policy, just, there's all these different things that, uh, that aren't moral one way or the other, and it's just our opinions and, and our views. And I totally understand that. A pastor shouldn't be saying, oh, you know, using the Bible to make some point about why this is wrong and why he's right or anything like that. But today, we live in a time where we have this huge moral problem within our country, really within the world. And the greatest moral issue within our country is hands down, there's no comparison, it's, it's abortion. All right, hundreds of thousands of people are, 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 are aborted, you know, in our country every year. And the Bible tells us that Christians are called to defend the weak and the, and the fatherless. Okay, we see that in Psalms. In, in Proverbs, we're told that people of God are to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. I cannot think of a better example of somebody who we should be speaking up for, of somebody who cannot speak for themselves than a baby in the womb. Okay. So, and yeah, but the church, right, the church has been, 
since the beginning of the church, so for the, fat, the past 2,000 years, it's been primarily Christians who have led the charge against injustices in our world. Okay, we've seen this within our own nation. We've seen it with slavery, huge injustice that should have never happened in our country. And we see this today um, with abortions. And so we can look back and even in our own country's history and we see that past Christians have been involved with politics and past Christians, past, you know, who are within our family in a sense, have spoken out on politics. And that happened because Christians starting, started viewing politics through a biblical lens. Right? We as Christians have started viewing politics through a biblical lens. Now, how, or filter, all right, biblical lens, biblical filter. Now, how many of you guys, uh, real quick, have, um, have you ever changed a filter in, in your house, like your furnace? All right, some of you guys are like, there's a filter there? All right, yeah, you might want to check that, all right? Um, I don't remember the last time I checked our filter. We're probably breathing in cancer or whatever, you know, I don't know. I don't know, bad stuff. Um, but... Uh, but have you, ever noticed, have you ever noticed how dirty it gets, right? And you're like, well, that's what I'm breathing in. First of all, let me say this. Have you ever noticed how expensive they are? You know what I'm talking about? It's like literally a cardboard frame with like the cheapest cloth ever in the middle of it. And that's cost me 25 bucks. You know, I'm like, what the heck is wrong with these people? But anyway, whatever. That's just because I'm, I'm cheap and I know I'm cheap. And so, you know, it's just who I am. But, uh, but it's crazy how dirty they get, right? Like, it's just air going through. It's not like, it's like dirt. It's just, it's just air, and it's so, and it gets so dirty. I, just recently, a couple weeks ago, we were, um, we replaced the filters here at the church, and there's one uh, furnace that we use a lot more than the others. It's out in the atrium. You know, I'm not going to point it out because you guys just start looking at it and stuff. But you can see the filter. And, uh, and I'm like, well, you know, we should probably change these. We haven't done these for six months. I, I don't know how often you're supposed to do that. It's probably around there. And, uh, and so we went out, got the filter. Or, yeah, I got the filters. And so I went up to, to replace this one. Again, this is probably our most used one. And, uh, and I'm looking at it, I'm like, it doesn't even need replaced. Like, it's white still, you know? This is not that big of a deal. But anyway, I got a ladder. I climbed up, and I start getting closer to it. And then all of a sudden, you're like, ew. Like, there's, like, bugs in there. I don't know those got, like, sucked in mid-flight or what. But there's, like, there's, like you know, there's, there's, like, a film of stuff and as I get closer to it, and I start studying it, and I'm pulling it out, you know, I'm just like, dust is coming off of it. I'm like, oh, this is gross. And then what I, tell me if you guys do this, all right? You take the filter, and you compare it to the new filter. You guys ever do that, like side by side? Because you just want to make sure that it's doing its job. You know what I mean? And I'm looking at it, and I'm like, dang. All of a sudden, this filter that looked white, the used one, all of a sudden was like dark gray with like all these things in it, you know? You start noticing that stuff. Up close, it was filthy. Right? It, was, uh, it wasn't even close, you know, to what the new one looked like. It's interesting because the air looks clean, you know. We're, well, not in here, I guess. It's, like, kind of foggy in here. But the uh, air looks clean, but there's stuff that needs to be filtered out of it. That's why we, that's why we have, have filters. See, as Christians, our political views must be filtered through a biblical filter, Meaning our political views might look clean to us, might look, you know, we might, we might examine it just a little bit, like inside and be like, oh, well, our political views, that, that, you know, those are pretty clean, those, everything's good, everything seems to be okay, you know, not that big of a deal. But if we ram our, our, biblical, or our political views through a biblical filter, all of a sudden our views and our opinions, a lot of us, probably for me, even the majority of us in this room, all right, for a lot of us, including myself, we realize that our views and opinions 
might need to be adjusted. And Jesus shows us how it's done. One time, Jesus, he's doing his thing. He's doing his public ministry. And, and I've said this many times, but when Jesus was doing his public ministry, all right, crowds like showed up. Like everybody wanted to see what Jesus was going to do next. Everybody wanted to hear what he was going to say, say next. I mean, he's doing miracles. He's doing all this stuff. Everybody, every, the crowds would just come around and Jesus, he'd be out, um, out in the streets, out in the public, doing, you know, teaching people and talking to people. And one time, a person asked Jesus a highly political question. It happened to be on a Wednesday. It was actually the, actually the day before Jesus was arrested. And the next day on, on, on Friday, so that's, yeah, the day before Jesus was ar- arrested. He was arrested on Thursday. And then the next day he was actually going to be executed. Um, but, uh, but somebody asked him a highly political question. Now, earlier in the week, all right, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, all right, Palm Sunday. It was on a Sunday, and uh, people are waving palm branches. Everybody's singing Hosanna. They're, like, welcoming their king into the capital city, Jerusalem. And when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, he actually went up to where the temple is, where the Jewish people um, worshiped God. And uh, he goes up there, and he didn't like what he saw. All right, there's, they've kind of like turned it into a market. There's people everywhere. All right, people are selling. They're buying things. I mean, people are making a bunch of money. And Jesus, right, he clears the temple. He kicks these people out, and he does it in a violent way. And since then, the religious leaders are looking for a way to kill him. And this day, this Wednesday, Jesus, he actually is back at the temple. He's teaching, and he has just finished teaching three parables. Right? And parables are just stories that Jesus used to, uh, to, to prove a point. So he's just taught on these three uh, stories. And these stories were basically, he was teaching of the judgment against the religious leaders of that day. Right? It's interesting, and I've said this many times, that Jesus, he came as the ultimate religious leader. Right? But he did not gravitate towards religious people. Isn't that kind of weird to think about? He came as the ultimate religious leader, but he did not gravitate towards religious people. And actually, uh, people who were nothing like Jesus actually liked Jesus, and Jesus liked them back. Right? Those are the crowds. That's why he has all these crowds following him. Now, the religious leaders on the other side, they hated Jesus. They hated everything about Jesus. They hated that Jesus trashed the temple. They hated that Jesus was super popular, that everybody wanted to follow him. Everybody wanted to hear what he had to say. They hated that Jesus didn't have, in their opinions, the right credentials right, or the right degree. Right? They, hated that, they hated Jesus' teaching. They hated his parables. They hated his stories. And they are so enraged after they hear these parables, these stories that Jesus teaches, that the Bible tells us that they... They decide or that they want to arrest him so that they can execute him. The only thing that's holding them back is the crowd. They don't know what the crowd will do. They don't want, they're afraid of the crowd, and, they, um, and so they, they, they don't. And so Jesus, he's on the scene. He's in Jerusalem. He's at the temple. He's stirring up all these religious beliefs. He's kind of turning everything on their head. He's stirring up all these political beliefs. And we see this in Matthew chapter 22. This is how it goes. It says, then the Pharisees, all right, the Pharisees, um, in case you haven't been in church, you know, those of us who have been in church for a long time, we know exactly who the Pharisees are. If not, this is a super weird church word that maybe you've heard but don't know anything about. Uh, Pharisees is basically like a political party in a sense, all right? That's what they were. Um, Where, and the Pharisees, most of them were the religious leaders of that day, okay? So these are religious leaders. These are the elite people of that day. These people, these are the people who ran the temple. They did all this, and everybody looked up to them. And, And so it says, then the Pharisees, they went and they plotted how to trap him by what he said, all right? That's not good. 
So they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Now, this is super interesting that we don't quite understand today. All right, the Herodians are also a political party. All right, the Herodians, these are people who follow King Herod. Herod um, was, uh, was actually kind of like a, King Herod was like a governor of Israel, around Israel um, at that time. And you got to remember, Israel is owned by Rome. All right, Rome owns Israel at this, at this point. And so King Herod was kind of like one of their uh, puppets and, and governors. And so the Herodians, that's who they follow. These are people who are like all about the government. Okay, they're all about King Herod. They're, that's their political party. That's, they're all about the Romans being in charge of the Jews. They're okay with that, and actually they encourage it. And so it's interesting because the Pharisees and the Herodians are like complete opposite sides of the spectrum. They're like Republicans and Democrats here today, okay? Completely opposite. And they don't get along. They don't agree on much. But here, the Pharisees and the Herodians, they come together because in their minds, they have this common enemy named Jesus, who they both don't like. And so they're like, hey, we'll go back to fighting and stuff, but let's get rid of this guy, and we'll go back to fighting. So this is what they do. They send their disciples to him along with the Herodians. So you got Pharisees, you got Herodians, they're coming together. And this is what they say. They say, teacher. Now, this was a really respectable title that they give Jesus, all right? It's a super high-class title, and uh, it's not a title that you would give everybody. It's basically saying, hey, we very, very, very much respect you and respect your authority in teaching. And, and so they start off that way. Now, how many times have you noticed, I mean, we all do this to a certain extent, right, where we're about ready to criticize somebody or say something negative about somebody, and you, but usually we start off with, like, a compliment. You know what I'm talking about? You know, people do that to you, but we never do that to other people, right? That's what you're thinking, all right? Um, you know, we kind of wrap it up in a nice little bow, like, like we really don't like that person's hairstyle, but we're like, you know, wow, that's a really, you know, that, she's got a really nice shirt, I don't know, girl or guy, I'm not picking on anybody here, just making this up as I go, all right? You know, really nice shirt on today, but man, did you see her hair? You know, stuff like that. Okay, you guys are better than me, so whatever. <laughs> all right. So that's how they start. They wrap it in this nice, tight little bow, all right? And it looks nice. They say, teacher, they said, we know that you are truthful and you teach truthfully and, you know, the way of God. You don't care what anyone thinks, nor do you show partiality. Wow, Jesus, you're such a good guy, they're saying. It says, so tell us then what you think. We really want to know your opinion on this. Well, what exactly do you think? They say, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Right? Now, this question, we look at this question, we don't fully understand the whole background of what's going on here or why they're asking uh, this question at all. Um, this question is so much more political than a simple question about taxes. Right? It's way more political than that. What they're trying to do, and we already know this, is they're trying to trap Jesus with the issue of, of taxes. And the issue of taxes is literally like a political powder keg in that day and age. Right? It's, it's huge. It's like politics today in a sense where everyone has their strong opinions, especially on taxes. Now, for me, all right, today I hate paying taxes. I'm unapologetic. Again, I'm cheap. All right? That's with me and the filters. You know, I'm, I'm just a cheap person. I'm unapologetical about that. And, uh, but I, I, I hate paying taxes. Actually, a, a few weeks ago, we were at my uh, brother-in-law's wedding down in Virginia, and, in, in D.C., and... Um, we, uh, we lost our, our, like, what's that called? Baby bag, baby, 
diaper bag. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. You could tell I don't really do much with it. Um, I don't even know what it is. It's just a bag with stuff in it. All right. We actually lost that. And actually, I think I ran it over with the car. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that happened. But we'll use that for another sermon maybe someday. Anyway, it's gone. Okay. So we need baby formula for Lizzie. And, um, and so Kate, she goes to the store, she gets the baby formula. Again, I'm cheap, and I know you cheap people because I'm one of you, all right? I happened to find the receipt of, of the baby formula in the car as I was driving like, like an hour later. And so I'm looking at it, all right, because again, this is what we cheap people do. Like, how much did this, my daughter, cost me here? You know, and I'm looking at it, and, uh, and I noticed that I had to pay tax on it, or that Kate had to pay tax on it. I noticed that, she, that there was tax on it. I'm like, What? You gotta be kidding me, I'm paying taxes, trying to feed my family, you know, I keep thinking all this. Here in Ohio, we don't have to pay taxes on food, which I very much appreciate that. But in Virginia, I'm like, I'm paying taxes to Virginia, I don't even live in Virginia, and I'm just trying to, you know, I just got for me, I'm, I'm thinking, that's kinda how I think, and I'm stupid, young, and immature, I totally understand that. And because of that, I, we did a two hour detour to not go through the state of Pennsylvania, so I wouldn't have to pay the $20 in tolls to them on the way back. That's just how I, this is how I think. Again, I know I'm, uh, I'm dumb and young and stubborn, and someday I'll just give up and go with the flow with the way that, you know. But anyway, but to some, to some people, taxes is a big issue, all right? It just kind of rubs you the wrong way. At least that's how it is for me, all right? Some is a big issue now, but back then, the issue of taxes was way bigger than the way I view taxes, okay? It's way bigger than, it, than the issue is now because Israel is, Rome, is owned by Rome, Right, so Israel, the Israelites, the, the Jews, they're not paying taxes into Israel, no. They're paying taxes to Rome, all right, a foreign invader. They are a conquered people. And when Rome went and they conquered a group of people or conquered a nation, they imposed high taxes on the nation. Because think about it, for Rome, they're like, I don't care. I don't care what they think. I don't care if they don't like it. All right, they can't, if, I don't care if they start a revolt. We'll come and we'll squash it because we're Rome. Right, that's how the Roman people Felt. That's how Caesar felt. And so the specific tax question here um, that, that, these, that these Herodians and Pharisees are questioning Jesus on is actually called the poll tax, or also known as the head tax. And basically, check this out. This is a tax basically on the privilege of being subjects to Rome. Like, can you imagine that? It's like Rome coming in. And Rome, Rome they put taxes on all kinds of stuff. But this specific tax, all right, they, Rome comes in and says, hey, we're just making you pay this tax just, so, you know, just for the privilege of being conquered by us. That's how they viewed it. Right? And so for the Israelites, for the Jews, right, this was a very, you know, th- it wasn't just paying the tax. Actually, the tax wasn't all that expensive. It was one day's wage every year. But it was way more, it's more of the symbolism. Right? It's the principle of it. And this was so deep into ingrained in these people that actually a few years before there was an armed revolt by a Jewish man named Judas the Galilean and uh, this is this happened when Jesus was like eight years old all right and uh, and so Jesus was alive for this like Jesus knows all about this he was there for this and Ju- Judas the Galilean he came in and he number one called on all Jews to refuse to pay the poll tax because that was messed up and they should never do it number two he threw out all the foreigners to, so that they could cleanse the temple in their minds properly. And number three, he declared that God would be their king and not Caesar. 
Right, so this guy comes in and he starts this movement called the Zealots. And the Zealots were an aggressive political party. These guys were highly nationalistic Jewish people that believed that there should be no taxes given to foreign Rome and that they should wait for the Messiah. Well, as you can imagine, that didn't sit too well with Rome. Right? They're not going to have this little uprising. And so, um, so Rome came in. And they executed Judas the Galilean and kind of put down this uprising. But history tells us that his sons were still out there pushing the, the movement, even on this day that Jesus was talking. All right, they're out there still alive. Actually, Rome was going to kill them in about, in about 12 to 13 years after Jesus. And then in 70 AD, all right, 40-ish years after Jesus is talking here, all right, the zealots, they actually make one last revolt, and Rome comes in and just pummels them, and Rome comes in and destroys Jerusalem and destroys the temple, and it's just, it's just all, all destroyed. It hasn't been rebuilt since. So what I'm trying to get you to understand is Jesus, as he's talking, he's in the middle of these two revolts, right? There's, this, is how the, this is how the Jews felt, right? Everybody, it, this, is, this is what were their political opinions. Everybody is, you know, everybody has their opinions. Everybody's ticked off. The, and, and so this was a huge issue. Paying this poll tax was a huge, huge issue in Jesus's day. Now, this idea that, this, that the Messiah was on his way, that Judas the Galilean was talking about, right? That was actually one of the many reasons why so many people were attracted to Jesus, Right? See, many Jews um, believe that Jesus was the Messiah, and he actually was the, the Messiah, but they were waiting for a political revolution that the Old Testament prophets had promised them, which we believe, which we know that is actually still going to happen. It hasn't happened yet. It's going to happen someday when Jesus returns. So they're waiting for it. They're, they believe that this man is the man who's going who's gonna to start this revolt, that he's going to overthrow Rome, and that he's the Messiah, which just means Savior. And, uh, and we see this. I mean, that's why that the next day, all right, on Thursday night, when they come to arrest Jesus, what does Peter do? Remember, he pulls out his sword and starts hacking off ears and stuff. You know what I'm talking about? Why does he do that? Because, because Peter's saying, this, I'm backing this guy. All right, this is political. Right, I'm back in this guy. We're going we're gonna to take over. You know, Jesus, he's going to be our king. That's what everybody was thinking, even his disciples up until the last day. And it really makes sense as to why everyone thought this. Right, I'm just like, think about it for a second. I mean, Jesus, this guy's performing miracles. Just days before he had raised Lazarus from, a de from the dead, a man. Right? Everybody is like, wow, I cannot believe this. Uh, and, and this very week, he came in and he had cleansed the temple. Right? He did the exact same thing like that Judas the Galilean had done. And he's out there and he's preaching and he's teaching. He's talking about the, the kingdom of God. And, and when we hear today, when we hear the words kingdom of God, right, we like spiritualize it. We're like, oh, yeah, that means you know, our relationship with God. And someday we're all going to be in God's kingdom in heaven and stuff like that. And we're, we're, we're partly right on that. But the Jews, they're thinking physical. They're thinking political. Right? This political kingdom that was promised by the Old Testament prophets, this kingdom who is this, this Savior who's going to rise up and he's going to deal with injustice and hunger and poverty and morality and all this stuff. And so everything is just so highly political in Jesus' day. And they ask him this question. I mean, it's even political among his disciples. Remember Matthew? Matthew was a tax collector, right? 
What's a tax collector? That's somebody who is literally, he worked for the foreign Roman government collecting taxes on the Jewish people. All right, most Jewish people viewed tax collectors like Matthew as, as traitors to not only their country, right, but, their, but their people, the Israelite, the Jewish people, traitors. They hated them. Right? They would have nothing to do with them. And then on the other side, you got, uh, you got Simon. Right? He's one of the disciples. We don't talk about him much. We don't know much about him, but he's one of the 12 disciples. His nickname was literally Simon the Zealot. Right? I mean, this is one of the guys that are, that's resisting Rome. But they had some good political uh, conversations right, during the three years that they were together. So anyway, back to the question. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? The trap is this. If Jesus says, yeah, go ahead, pay the tax, not a big deal, then the Jewish people, the crowd around him, they're going to be super offended, all right, and they're going to turn against Jesus and leave Jesus, and then the religious leaders finally have the opportunity to go in and arrest Jesus and have him executed, all right? That's what they want, all right? The only thing that's holding them back is the crowd, so Jesus loses the crowd, all right? They're good to go. Now, if Jesus says, no, 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 you shouldn't be paying that tax, if the answer is no, then the people would see him as calling for a, an armed revolt, like a revolution. And when Rome hears about this, which Rome is everywhere, there's, you know, governor, you know, everybody's, yeah, things will get out. When Rome hears about this, all right, Rome, they're going to come in, they're going to squash it, they're going to get involved, they're going to take Jesus, they're going to execute him. So for Jesus here, this is a no-win situation. It's one of those gotcha questions. It's one of those questions that it's like, it's like either way, these, these Pharisees, these religious leaders, and the Herodians, either way, these guys win. And so everyone, and everybody knows it, all right? The whole crowd, everyone knows it, and everybody's tense, and, and everyone wants to know the answer, and everybody's waiting for it. And this is how Jesus answers in verse 18. He says, perceiving their malicious intent, Jesus said, why are you testing me? You hypocrites. He says, show me the coin used for the tax. And so they brought him a denarius. He says, whose image and inscription is this? All right, now this is a question that everybody knows the answer to. A little kid could have answered this question. It'd be like if I was holding up a, a penny, which I'm not 100% sure what's on the penny. If I was holding up a quarter, that's Washington, right? I don't know. Okay, no, you guys don't seem to know either, so I don't feel bad about myself. All right. Let's say it's Washington, all right? You know, it'd be like me holding up a quarter and being like, hey, who, whose image is, is this? All right, that's what they all ask. Only they all know the answer. None of us know the answer, but they all know the answer. And they, probably in unison, all right, they, they're like all, go, they all say, well, that's, that's Caesar's. All right, he holds up. I mean, can you picture this? Like, think about this. Picture this for a second. He asked for a, they asked him this, this trick question that there's no, there's no way to get out of it, all right? Uh, and, and so he asked for a coin, they give him a coin. He holds this coin up, and this coin is extremely offensive to Jewish culture because it's just a constant reminder of the Roman oppression that's happening. I mean, Romans were not kind to these people that they conquered. I mean, they would go in, literally kill who they wanted to kill. They would rape who they wanted to rape, all right? And they would take what they wanted to take. I mean, these people, I mean, they were hated. The, the Jewish people hated the Roman people, and the Roman people just didn't care. And so Jesus, he holds up this coin, and they're all going, oh, Rome, you know, that's, that's Caesar. And this is the coin that he holds up. Uh, it's a denarius. On one side, right, it's, the, it's Caesar, right? This is, this is the Caesar at that time, Caesar Tiberius. And this is what it says um, on the inscription around it. It says, Caesar Augustus Tiberius, son of God Augustus. 
All right, so basically what, this, what it says around that coin is, hey, this, this is who I am. I'm Caesar Tiberius Augustus, and he's saying, and I am the son of God. And God was my father, the last Caesar Augustus. Right? It's just blasphemous. It's just a terrible thing, and just very offensive to the Jews, very offensive to God, let's be honest. All right, and the other side of the coin is a picture of, of, um, of the Caesar sitting on his throne, and around the edges it says Pontifus Maximus, which means your high priest. All right, so here's Caesar. Every coin is basically saying, hey, I'm your God, and I'm your high priest, and I rule over you. I mean, it's just evil, right? I mean, it's just evil, and everybody's, everybody's got this. And so when Jesus holds up this coin, the people in the crowd, you know what they're thinking? They're just like, oh, yeah, here we go. You know, we're about to, we're about to revolt. You know, let's go. We're going to take Rome down. This is going to be awesome. He's going to denounce Rome. He's going to start his kingdom that he's been talking about for the last three years. Like, they're ready, and they are, they are waiting. They are, you know, the crowd is waiting, and the religious leaders, they think they have them. They're excited. They're getting giddy. And this is what Jesus says as he's holding up the coin. He says, then he said to them, he says, give then to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Now, at first glance, this answer, if you're like me this week, you know, I'm like, what? <laughs> what's that mean? Right? Like, what's Jesus trying to say here? What's, what's going on? You know, what kind of answer is that? But everybody, every, you know, everybody's standing there, they know exactly what Jesus is saying. Like, it almost sounds like a typical politician's answer, right? When a politician is asked a question, a lot of times they kind of move around it, they dodge the question, they don't give you a straight answer. And, and yet, Jesus doesn't give us a simple answer. He doesn't give us a yes-no answer. Because to Jesus, the, the right answer is not yes pay or no don't pay, right? Those weren't right. What he's saying is, you need to give to Caesar what has Caesar's image on it. He's like, pay the tax. And you need to give to God's what has God's image on it. Well, what's that? What has God's image on it? We do. See, in Jesus' culture, kings ruled with divine, you know, authority. Right? That's why Caesar, he's saying, hey, I'm God and I'm your high priest, and so you got to do what I say. Right? That's what the, this is what the coin says. Right, Jesus is saying, hey, do not give to Caesar that type of allegiance. Right, that's not, we shouldn't be living our life giving the government that type of allegiance. Like you could give government some of what it wants is what Jesus is saying. But don't give it everything that it wants. Because government doesn't have the final authority because there is an authority that's way higher than the government. And it's God. By the way, let me just say this. Notice that Jesus is not saying yeah, just don't engage. Don't engage in politics. I mean, he could have said that, right? I mean, he could have held up that coin. Everybody's like, ugh, disgusted with it. You know, he could have said, wow, you know, this is an evil government. Look at this coin. You guys all know what it says? Or, or this is an evil coin. You know, or, or you shouldn't even have this. I can't believe you had this coin in your pocket. You know, he, he could have said something like that, but that's not what he says. He's saying, no, we as Jesus followers are to be involved in politics. We see, you know, we see righteous men and women throughout the entire Bible engaged in politics. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament's filled with them. All right, look at Moses, Deborah, Daniel, Esther, all right, huge, Ezra, Nehemiah. All right, in the New Testament, you got Paul. Paul, remember, he's a Roman citizen. He's in court. And Paul, he, what's he do? He appeals to Caesar. So you got 
Christian friends, um, there's probably people in here uh, that, that think, well, you know, Christians shouldn't really be involved and Christians shouldn't vote, you know, we shouldn't be, be part of it. Especially when the candidates aren't a Christian and stuff like that, which even that, that idea isn't even accurate, at least this time around, right? Because at least one of the four, right, does claim to be, actually, they probably all claim to be Christian, but one of the four does claim to be a born-again Christian, right? Like, like we are, right? And that's, my, that's Mike Pence, Right, but a lot of Christians, think, you know, they think, well, you know, we just, we just shouldn't be involved. But Jesus isn't giving that as an option here. No, he's saying, no, no, you should be a part of the political system. Right, that's why it's so important that you and me as a Christian vote this week. Right, and we vote for a candidate that has a platform that, that resembles a biblical foundation of our country. That's what we're supposed to do. And so when the people hear Jesus' answer, when people hear what he has to say, they're not upset about it. They're not like, well, I disagree with that. I don't think that, you know, they don't do that. What they are, this is their reaction. It says in verse 22, it says, when they heard this, they know exactly what he's saying, and they're just amazed. And so they left him and they went away. See, we tend to view politics with a simple yes-no mentality. Yeah, this is right. No, that's not right. All right? It, Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus is saying, hey, don't flat-out rebel. He's saying, but don't fully accept the system either. He's saying, don't completely, don't, uh, completely withdraw. See, this is why the crowd is amazed. You got, you got all these different political parties that are in the crowd. You got the zealots, right? And they're saying, hey, you need to be involved in, in politics and you need, to, you need to resist, all right? And, and Jesus is like, no, that's, that's not right. You got the Herodians are saying, hey, you need to be involved with politics and you need to support this government. And this is, you know, you need to be all about the government. And Jesus is like, no, that's not it either. You actually got another group of people called the Essenes, which we didn't really talk about today, that are just like, just don't be involved, which is the idea that so many Christians today have. And Jesus is like, no, that's, that's not it either. See, for many of us, our political party, let's say our political opinions that often resemble our political party, that's what comes first. So we have our opinions and we take on our beliefs of our political party and, and it's like that dictates our faith. And Jesus is saying, no way. He's like, no way. That's not how you're supposed to live our life. No, you need to give to God's what's God's. You need to give God your life, meaning you need to live your life God's way, not how your political party dictates. So we need to form our political opinions after we run them through our biblical filter. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is this. Are you willing to evaluate your politics through the filter of your faith rather than creating a version of faith that supports your politics? Are you willing to put your political filter, let's say, behind your biblical filter? Biblical filter first. Or are you willing to follow Jesus when following Jesus creates space between you and your political party or your political platform or your political candidate? See, before you vote this week, and I know, I know a lot of people, maybe even most people have already, have already voted, but you need to run your political opinions through your biblical filter because that's 
our first allegiance is, is to God. And for this week, instead of focusing on personality, which three out of the four have terrible personalities, right, we actually need to look at the platforms and what they stand for and what they've done. It's going to be a rough week because no matter what happens, half the nation is going to have a horrible week. Half the nation is going to be, you know, depressed. And for us, no matter what happens, we need to remember that our identity and our allegiance is to God and not our government. Let's pray. God, we, um, we thank you for these words. We thank you for your teaching that you give us. Help us make tough decisions like a lot of us have to make this week. God, we thank you for the fact that we don't have to give ourselves over to some political party or some political belief or, or the government. Lord, you call us to, to give them some of what they want, but not everything. And Lord, we don't give our lives to their government. We give our lives to you and you only. God, we pray for our nation this week. We pray that that your will would be done and that no matter what happens, that we would remember that you're in control. And the honest truth is, those of us who are Christians, I mean, we know how the story ends. We just don't know how we get there. And so, God, we ask that you would help us, and we pray for our nation, especially this week, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.